This is Steve Taylor for the Rio Grande Guardian and KEDT News. We are in San Juan, Texas today. There's been a meeting of the Rio Grande Valley Equal Voice Network Health Working Group and one of the big topics discussed at the meeting was a preview and planning for the Rio Grande Valley Health Summit, which is going to be held in Westlaco, Texas at the NAP Conference Center on December the 12th, 2019. And the title of this summit is called Gaps in Access to Specialty Healthcare. I'm here with two members of the health working group, Anne Cass. Anne Cass chairs this working group and Salomon Torres. We're going to start with Salomon. Salomon, why are you putting on this health summit? The health working group decided to follow up last year's successful health summit where we first explored the, the, the issue of access to care uh, or the gaps in access to health care in the Rio Grande Valley. It was determined from that preliminary view of the region's uh, status as far as access to health care that more um, study and more evaluation needed to be done specifically of uh, people's uh, access to specialty care, which is secondary care or, or, or exams that are required many times, referred many times from primary physicians to patients. And I understand um, as part of this summit, you what sort of driven uh, you to, to have the summit is you've been creating, producing a lot of data, you've been doing a lot of research in healthcare in the Valley over a period of time, and uh, that, that's generating a white paper, which we'll talk about in a moment, but a lot of the data that you've collated will be unveiled at the summit. Tell us about that data collection effort. The working group joined efforts to collect um, uh, primary data from patients and from nurses, social workers, anybody who had direct um, um, contacts with patients as far as their experience in accessing health care. We, from that preliminary view that we achieved last year, we knew that we now needed to uh, verify. Uh, that preliminary data as to what exactly patients are, are experiencing when they say they can't access specialty care. So the working group um, developed the data collection strategy and we achieved it. We, we completed it and it, it's, it, it is comprised of two sets of very um, valuable data. One set of data was collected from 603 surveys that were completed by individuals from the population that we targeted, which is um, population from around the Rio Grande Valley, many uninsured, many uninsured, many underinsured, many underserved. Uh, that data was reinforced and, and supplemented with focus groups that were conducted in the four counties. Focus groups were in English and Spanish with both patients and with clinical social workers and nurses. A few physicians also contributed to the focus groups input. Uh, people were dis people discussed in very um, in very serious ways their life experiences, their experiences in not being able to access care that doctors are telling them they have to access. The the data pointed to specific um, uh, factors and reasons why they're not ac not accessing healthcare. Uh, so we're we're very confident in the reliability of this sample of data that was collected through both the surveys and through the focus groups. By the way, it was 13 focus groups uh, throughout the region. And how many, how many um, 
patients, residents in the valley did you did you sample? Uh, the 13 focus groups uh, uh, sampled approximately 135 individuals, participants in the focus groups, about half and half between patients and the clinical workers and social workers. Um, they also, we also did something else to add more, more even more insight. Uh, during the focus groups, we actually asked patients and social workers and nurses to complete an anonymous um, checklist survey within the focus groups. So that even gave us a third level of insight from their own hands, uh, what types of specialties they're needing to access and what are the reasons they have not been able to access them in the, in the past. That was very substantial quantitative data that we were able to collect to enhance the qualitative analysis of the, the population's needs. Okay, I'm going to bring Anne into the conversation now. Anne, what would you like to say about the uh, the importance of the summit and also this data collection work that you've been doing all these all these months? Well, I think what the data shows is that um, the very low and low income population and the working poor where we have all resources that probably top notch in the nation for secondary care that people who are in that other category are not accessing it because they don't have the funds is the primary reason that we've heard. So we know in Hidalgo County, approximately 300,000 people do not have insurance that are all low and very low income. And we know that they've been having barbecues over and over to pay for their cancer treatments or whatever, and that people here are dying because they can't get into the specialty care that they need. And so uh, that's what we heard, that's what was verified, and so uh, we're very glad that the white paper is going to be showing a lot of recommendations that we can make to, to get rid of a lot of those gaps. Um, are there any specific cases, very compelling stories that you heard that you'd like to share with us to, that, that speaks to this? Well, I think on the last white paper, when we were asking the safety net clinics for information on how many referrals they made to specialists were not being met, I know one of the federal clinics um, sent me a list with like 5,000 names on it. And when I called and asked what this was, she said, those are the number of referrals that did not make their appointments uh, in the last quarter. So I think that was a big red flag that went up when we did the last white paper on accessing health care. So now we have the issue um, besides primary care, the issue of when people find out they have cancer, where do they go? When they find out they have diabetes, where do they go? Do they have money to uh, pay for all the other testing that those specialists are going to require? Do they have transportation to get there? Can they get off work um, to go have these tests done? Uh, all of those things are, are things that were addressed in the focus groups and on the surveys. And the studies show that one of the top reasons they, that they don't follow up is uh, lack of funds? Lack of funding. Lack of funding is probably the top. And then depending on the different geographical areas and depending, a lot of the um, clinic workers felt transportation was also a big issue, especially we know transportation is an issue in the Valley. And we know that the um, Lower Rio Grande Valley Development Council is working very hard with Valley Metro to make those rural routes 
more appropriate. Um, so this will probably hopefully help them also determine where the routes need to be to get people to where they were at. We also noticed that a lot of people didn't know where the resources were, which is why uh, we're putting together this resource manual, which will be by county. It will also have um, the primary care and secondary care, mental health care, uh, transportation that is available, um, and then the hospitals, too, will be listed in there. So that's going to be very important to get that um, resource manual out to the community. And we're very grateful to the South Texas Methodist Healthcare uh, System and the Margaret Casey Foundation for giving us the funding that we need to, to make this project happen. And will this handbook uh, with all this useful, yeah, will this be available? At, at, will that coincide with the summit? Yes, we will be handing out every to everybody at the summit this resource guide. And then it will have it posted electronically on all of our websites, and uh, hopefully we'll have a uh, have it on other agencies that will help to help us to keep it maintained. Okay, thank you for that. I'm going to go back to Solomon now because Solomon, let's talk about the white paper. I've had a chance to just glimpse through it, and it's there's a lot of depth. You've um, there's a lot of recommendations as well. Tell us about the importance of the white paper. The white paper is meant to give decision makers, whether it's in the public sector or in the healthcare sector or philanthropic sector, um, ideas for reflection on how they could be partners in this effort to improve access to specialty care. So the, the, the white paper is intended to do just that, to give them a menu of ideas that they could pursue um, as a private sector player, as a, as a healthcare provider, or as an elected official. Um, that's why the the menu is broad and it's diverse in how each of the actions that are recommended in, in there could be short-term impact, others could be long-term impact. For example, dental care was a highly, highly rated uh, area of specialty care need uh, that is not being met in the Rio Grande Valley. Even the clinics can't keep up with the amount of need that there is for dental care for adults and for children. So the paper points to the successful Lone Star uh, uh, model of bringing in dentists from uh, from other parts of the state in order to provide our population uh, assistance in, in dental care. So we have a recommendation related to that. We have a recommendation related to modernizing how we bring mobile and mobile way specialty care to populations. So there's a recommendation in there related to mobile units that hasn't been used uh, here in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, we also point to larger scale um, uh, um, alternatives that could be considered by our policymakers. Uh, for example, we recently had the secret fund um, get funded by another $3 billion in bond authority to do more cancer research in Texas. Uh, increasing it from three billion to six billion, well, that's that's a good model for also having an impact on the treatment side and on the prevention side for uh, chronic conditions uh, such as diabetes, cancer, and heart disease and stroke. So that uh, proposal is detailed uh, in there as well. As you can see, the proposals run the gamut, so that um, whatever the level of interest is to get involved, there's something in there for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'd like to just ask you a little bit about uh, two or three of those recommendations. The first one, you um, have some ideas to improve transportation to to ensure that patients get to, to clinics and hospitals. Tell us about that. The Rio Grande Valley is very fortunate to have Valley Metro operate in the whole region through through its bus system. I mean, they, they're doing a, a stellar job in getting people to where they need to get to, not just for shopping, but critical needs, uh, healthcare particularly. The recommendation in there revolves around modifying how the routes are planned out based on where the population in need is. And that can only happen through consultation between the clinics that see the patients and Valley Metro. Uh, there's also best practices that are now used in other rural areas of the country uh, that are recommended in there for Valley Metro to adopt uh, for, for their own operations. And another recommendation, the chronic disease bond type um, proposal. Tell us about that one. This one is uh, it's a good challenge for legislators to to basically revive the bond um, proposition. I think everybody's celebrating right now because the bond proposition passed, but that model is really usable for this this chronic disease bond proposal in that it's one thing to put taxpayer dollars into research, which is critical for, for, for cancer in this case, but it's another to put taxpayer dollars into areas where there's gaps around the state of Texas when it comes to prevention of these chronic conditions. We can't just keep treating, 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 treating these chronic conditions. We've got to be more bold in how we bring resources to the clinics to do more prevention, more screening. And then, of course, help them with some grant funds for additional um, treatment services in these principal chronic areas of disease. Thank you very much for that. Uh, one of the other proposals, I'll start with you, Anne, on this one. The proposal that you have a feasibility study to look into the possibility of having a, uh, a public hospital. Tell us, tell us the rationale there, and I'll also talk to Salomon about it as well. But your thoughts on that and how that proposal to study it came about. Well, we know that we don't have... Um full-service public hospital here in the Rio Grande Valley. There is a small public hospital in Starr County, and Willacy used to have one, but uh, they don't any longer. And so the, people need to be able to get into a hospital if they have cancer for the surgery. Or even, I know when I worked for the United Farm Workers, a lot of farm workers would get abdominal hernias, and they couldn't get in to have that repaired, which would have been like day surgery until the intestines got strangulated, and then they were septic, and then they qualified under emergency Medicaid, and they were in ICU probably for a long time. So we need a public hospital where people can have these particular conditions taken care of uh, right away before they become life-threatening. And, and that includes cancer as well. I think with the secret, that's great. But, uh, you know, so you're a woman, you find out you have breast cancer and the, uh, because of secret, but then you want to know, well, where do I go for treatment? And you're told, well, I'm sorry, you don't have insurance. There's not a specialist here who will help you. And so I don't know as a woman, uh, which is worse, to know that you have cancer, but there's no one who's going to be able to assist you in the treatment or not to know at all. I mean, it's kind of like Sophie's choice, right? You just 
there's really no answer there. And we know people are dying of diseases here in the valley that they don't need to. They're not dying of these same diseases in other areas of the country. We have visitors coming here all the time, and they cannot believe we do not have a public hospital in this area, as big as this area is. The closest one is 250, 300 miles away. And then um, Salomon's done a lot of research also that shows the disparity in that. Yeah, we're going we're to get to that, but let, let's um, m um, underline the point that you're, you're not making a recommendation for the public hospital. You just would like to study it, correct? You'd like to study it to see the pros and cons. Yes, we, we want to do a feasibility study to see the pros and the cons of having um, public hospital here in this area. We kind of think we know what the pros are, but we also know there's probably a lot of cons as well. And until we do this feasibility study, then we won't be able to make any plans going forward in the future. So we want to make sure that a, an objective study is done. And Salomon, um, kick it over to you with this for this for that particular topic again, because you have studied um, um, the situation in other parts of Texas, and uh, you've come to the conclusion that South Texas is is not well catered for as compared to other parts of the state. Well, it's it's sort of like deja vu with other areas of policy and, and public investments, education, transportation, go down the list. And now it's in this area of public hospitals where there's a geographic disparity in taxpayer dollars being expended uh, for the population that we're talking about, which is the uninsured, the underinsured, and the underserved. In other metropolitan areas of Texas, El Paso, Houston, San Antonio, that landscape has the hospital, the public hospital, as an option for that population. And those hospitals have developed a, uh, a tremendous following in by that population because there's always a need for gaps to be met because of lack of insurance. So in this case, what we reviewed was the placement of where have communities come together around the state of Texas, where have they developed the, the, the will, the support with the elected officials, to develop uh, public hospital systems. And what we found out that of the 70 in the state of Texas, there's only one in the valley, and that is Star County Memorial Hospital. And that one was born in 1972 through state legislative act, thanks to the, the, the advocacy there of Dr. Uh, Ramirez in that area. Uh, so we, um, there, there's something wrong with the picture here. When 1.3 million people um, can access health care uh, through the private hospital sector, through the clinic sector, but there is no public hospital as is allowed, as is made available in other metropolitan areas. So the study needs to address um, the need, it needs to address the impact on the existing hospital providers of a public hospital. How would it enhance? How would it affect uh, current operations? Um, but more so, how do we now close the gap on South Texas uh, Rio Grande Valley residents having uh, access to taxpayer-supported uh, health services? So you would make the point that, it, 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 yes, your studies show that there's a disparity. Some areas of the state have more public hospitals than others. But, you're, but that, you would also say that there's evidence in, in your studies that that lack of that public hospital in the valley 
is impacting access to healthcare. That the, you can't, nobody can seriously make an argument. Well, we've got other ways of addressing that. The, the, the private hospitals um, and the clinics that are around the valley—they—they're not picking up the slack. They can't pick up the slack. Uh, the hospitals cannot pick up the slack because uh, they have to continue meeting their their revenue projections, and that means uh, meeting the needs of those patients that can pay or that are insured. Uh, the underinsured uh, cannot get the same type of help they would get at a public hospital versus the existing hospital network that we have in the Valley. And the clinics, they would love to meet all the specialty care needs of our patients, but they're unable to. They're, they're dealing with federal, they're dealing with charitable donations to operate with federal funds to operate as federally qualified health centers. They would love to have in our landscape a, a safety net hospital. Uh, for the Rio Grande Valley, so that can be a true partnership in taking care of the needs of our of our um, population in greatest need. I'm going to wrap things up with regard to um, your your input on this uh, podcast, Salomon, by just saying, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Rio Grande Valley Health Summit, uh, which is titled "Gaps in Access to Specialty Healthcare," taking place at the NAP? conference center in westaco december 12th 2019 any other thoughts anything else anything we've missed so far my my final message would be that individuals who are interested in improving the healthcare profile of the rural grande valley need to be there they need to know what challenges the clinics are facing what challenges the medical school is facing in collaborating uh, with the community on improved um, delivery of services, they need to be there so that they can see what role can they play as as individuals, as business owners, as doctors, as nurses, what role can they play to address this regional um, challenge. So it's open to the general, general public? Is there a charge? No charge. It'll be uh, open to the public. It'll have a, a several very fascinating uh, panel discussions, including one with patients and uh, also two keynote addresses that uh, Ms. Amcas can uh, can explain to you who who's um, who's scheduled to join us. Thank you so much for your thoughts, um, Solomon. And now, Anne, any other comments you want to make about either the white paper or the summit itself on December twelfth? Well, we just hope that people will come, and you do need to register. You can call 787-702-3307 and ask for Amber or Ann so you can get uh, registered for the event. It is free. There will be a free luncheon. Uh, we're happy that um, Hidalgo County Judge... Richard Cortez will be giving a response to what he's heard in the morning, and also Representative Armando Martinez will be the keynote speaker during lunch. So registration's at 8, and we hope to be done by 1 o'clock, and it's just a great way to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe Day. And I know that you're looking for some other speakers as well uh, from across the valley. Yes, across the valley we'll be looking for someone from Cameron County especially. So. The um, one of the features of the summit, which I, I was intrigued by, the demographic profile and the health care profile. You're going to have some interesting information on that. Yes, we will have that. That will be in the paper. Everybody will get a copy of the white paper. Everyone will get a copy of the resource guide, and then we'll also have the poster that was presented at the UTRGV Medical School uh, there, so people can see the preliminary results that we had back in September. 
And a final shout out to the sponsors, the, the people that have helped, helped you uh, put this on. We're very grateful for the assistance and funding from the South Texas Methodist Healthcare Ministries and from the Margaret Casey Foundation. Thank you so much for today's interview. Thank you very much for interviewing us, Steve. Again, that health summit in Weslaco has been scheduled for December 12th at the Knapp Conference Center. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service and KEDT News.